podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, soon to be 14, soon to be 12. I am your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode. As you know, as we have discussed, we are doing one episode a week through the summer. I just, you know, I had a kid, and now I've got three, and it means I have to cut back somewhere. But that doesn't mean we're not going to put a lot of work into these. In fact, the idea is one episode a week. Let's do our darndest to produce a fantastic episode. And that is exactly what we have for you today. Three guests, two big topics. Max Garner, former Baylor baseball player, joining us to talk about Baylor's new head coaching hire. The Bears announced that former Baylor assistant Mitch Thompson taking over the Baylor baseball program. Max played for him when he was at Baylor, was recruited by him. We're going to get his thoughts on the hire. A nice little 10-minute quick, concise interview. Really good. Baylor fans are going to like it. Very excited. It's got me excited about Baylor baseball and its potential of getting back to the levels of reaching Omaha, which is going on right now. As of the time of this recording, Texas is eliminated. They are gone. Their season is over. Oklahoma currently up 5 nothing on Notre Dame in the top of the sixth in a situation where if Oklahoma wins this, they are one win away from the championship series. We find out very, very interesting stuff going on in Omaha. Really? <laughs> Man, it really is. ESPN's production value out there has been absolutely fantastic. Props to them. I really got to sit down and watch the Arkansas game quite a bit. Uh, beautifully shot. Beautifully done. Wonderfully produced. Man, the, the we have to give ESPN credit. ESPN Plus has been better and better and better. Uh, the work they did for the Women's College World Series and other Men's College World Series has been phenomenal. Props to ESPN. Oh, I said we have three guests. We are beginning our position group rankings in this episode. We're doing them a little bit different this year. We're starting things off not with just straight position groups, not just receiver, running back, tight end, corner, linebacker. We're grouping them into four different points on the field, let's call it. Uh, And today we are doing pass catchers. We're ranking pass catchers. That means receivers, running backs, and tight ends and ranking them based on that group as a collective. I have with me Parker Fleming, Stats O'War on Twitter, uh, host of the Purple Theory, or one of the hosts of the Purple Theory podcast, and a guy who does fantastic work at CFB-Graphs. If you do not know that website, you should be paying attention to it. Also, Ian Boyd of On3.com. Those are my two uh, pros, my two experts joining me. We're going to break down our pass catchers rankings for the Big 12. Really good conversation. We divulge onto an interesting quarterback conversation. A lot of talk of running backs and tight ends in this one. I think this is much better than just ranking wide receivers and then running backs and then tight ends individually. I think this views, I think presents a better representation of the passing game in the Big 12 for the variety of teams. I, this is fantastic. I, 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 I love it. I think you're going to love it. I really do. You know what else I love? Homefield Apparel and the TCU line they just put out. I got two t-shirts. I've got the Cursive Frog. It's a fantastic shirt. But I got one. That goes right next to my Slippery Rock shirt of a horn frog in a fur coat carrying a pennant. It's fantastic. I'm, I'm, they have put out so many good lines for Big 12 schools. And the TCU line is top three. And, 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 I, and I'm not sure if I can say number one. I kind of want to. It's that good. 
the quality of the designs, the creativity, the originality, like you guys, homefieldapparel.com. If you haven't shopped there yet, you really do need to. Make sure to use our promo code NETWORK12, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1-2 for 15% off your first order. If you're a TCU fan and you haven't shopped yet, you haven't gone yet, you haven't seen it, you need to go. They're amazing. That rah-rah shirt is one of my new favorite shirts. It's fantastic. I've worn it way too much this weekend, more than I should admit. Uh, it's going up right next to my uh, Pistol Patty shirt as shirts that I just am going to wear until I wear them out and then have to buy a new one. So go to homefieldapparel.com. Check out the TCU collection that they just launched as part of Big News Saturday Season 4. Don't forget they've got Oklahoma State, Texas, Texas Tech, Iowa State, Baylor, Houston, Cincinnati, BYU, UCF, West Virginia. They've got almost every Big 12 school, current or future. Only two left are Oklahoma and Kansas State that they don't have. Hmm. Well, Big New Saturday Season 4 continues to roll on into August, so just keep an eye out. I think Washington State is this week. So don't forget our promo code NETWORK12, 15% off your first order. Be rocking the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel you will ever wear this summer and into this coming football season, which I'm happy to start previewing. This is part of our preview. We're going to be doing this stuff all summer long. That's what we're going to talk about a lot this summer. So, loaded episode, fantastic stuff. Stick around for all of it. Max Garner next, about 10 minutes, and then we hop in with Ian and Parker. Great stuff. Let's get to it. Are you a parent listening to this podcast with a child at home, either in middle school or high school, but already thinking about college planning, scholarships, or dreaming of them playing sports in college? Do you know a high school or middle school athlete who wants to go and play in college? Whether it's D1, D2, D3, or just they're not even sure they just want to keep playing during college. Well, let us introduce you to one of our friends of the podcast and a company who is an expert in the world of college recruiting, Recruit Route. Led by our friend Brian Bedford, a 25-year veteran of recruiting and former D1 recruiting director, Recruit Route offers a full suite of offerings to help student athletes, parents, and high school coaches be better educated and empowered to successfully navigate the college recruiting process. Check out our friends at recruit-route.com. That's recruit-route.com. Don't forget, run your route in recruiting with recruit route. Baylor has filled their open head coaching position for the baseball program, hiring Mitch Thompson, head coach of McLennan College and former Baylor assistant for 18 seasons. It's a it's a hire that from what I can tell has been pretty much universally lauded by Baylor fans, those connected to the program, uh, and those who follow college baseball. Uh, those lauding it include a former player who played under Mitch Thompson was recruited by him and is joining us today to talk about this big hire for Baylor. Uh, as I said, former Baylor baseball stud, Max Garner. Max, welcome to the 1012 podcast, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Philip. I'm ready for uh, talk talk some Baylor baseball. Uh, I'm excited about it for the first time in a while. And you got you got the the green wall in the background with a couple of jerseys. You got your Baylor baseball hat on. I mean. I couldn't find a better guest than former player, guy who I follow on Twitter, pay a lot of attention to. I mean, you, as I mentioned, you were recruited by Mitch Thompson. You played with him for four of your five years before he left to go uh, take over in the McLennan uh, College Program, where he's had a ton of success. I, just from your time playing with him, well, let's just start there. Let's just start here. Initial reaction when you saw the news that he was going to be the new head coach at the Baylor Baseball Program. Yeah. So, I mean, I think for – for people who played um, for the, the staff that, that I played for, Coach Smith and, and Coach Thompson and Hoot Jonigan, um, in that two-decade run they had there, I, I think it's hard to put into words how happy we could be for somebody to get this job. Um, 
for for the program and for Coach Thompson on a personal level. Uh, we're ecstatic. He, I think he's the best recruiter in the state. I, I think there's no one that deserved it more. I think he probably deserved it uh, when Coach Smith left, but we'll let to uh, about another day. But um, I think, you know, JUCO success that's sustained like that shows a kind of edge that a, a lot of coaches just w aren't willing to put out there. And uh, you give him a power five uh, situation, and I think he's going to flourish. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, as I mentioned, coaching JUCO ranks for essentially 10 years, um, four runs to the uh, to the JUCO College World, Men's College World Series. I mean, he's had a ton of success there. Everyone has mentioned him as a recruiter. Um, I believe he is given a lot of the credit for uh, when Baylor landed essentially the number one class, I think, back in, uh, in 1995. Uh, Baylor, a lot of success while he was there. I mean... It does feel like you're bringing somebody home who knows the Baylor program well, knows the state of Texas very well, knows Waco very well, which which does seem like it's a it should be a recipe for success at a program that has a history of it, just not as much in recent years. Yeah, I think um, you know a lot of our biggest concern was there's there's two problems at big private universities for baseball with it not being. Um, with it being partial scholarships and that is you know price at a, at a recruiting to a private school you need to either find some people whose parents can pay the extra difference or um, can make it up with some academic money or something like that um, and then there's having the ear of every Texas high school coach in the state I mean that means something and to find the guys that he did to recruit at that crazy level or to, to compete at that crazy level at McLennan year in and year out um, you know, you're flipping your whole roster every every year, if not every two, for sure. And uh, that's that's just something he's not going to have to worry about anymore. I think he's just going to be so seasoned to um, having having the ear of these these Texas coaches and and knowing Baylor and loving Waco and knowing what to pitch about the school and and about the community. That um, it's just it's just a slam dunk. You mentioned flipping the roster every year. Obviously, that's an issue at JUCO with a lot of guys coming in. Maybe they play for a year or two, and then they're off back to D1 or, or somewhere else in baseball. Um, so you are flipping a roster pretty quickly. Do you think that will give him an edge at Baylor with what we deal with now with NIL and the transfer portal and seeing so many kids transfer in and out of programs as much as we do? I mean, it's just part of the sport. It's a part of all college athletics at this point. And it's right. something a lot of coaches are having to adapt to. Do you think that yeah. is something that would give him an edge as he comes in and, and is in this new sports environment that we're still getting used to? For sure. And, and you know, especially except if you throw out a couple of schools uh, that are the easy ones to pick from nationally, it's going to be kind of interesting to see how NIL affects these smaller, you know, non-baseball and basketball or non-basketball and football sports. Um, and every coach is going to have to adjust to that, right? It's, it's kind of the wild west and it's still getting started, but, um, the transfer portal makes division one kind of function exactly like junior college functions. And I think as far as getting the program healthy and competitive very, very quickly, I think ju junior college coaches are going to have a handle on that just better than, um, someone who's been has been out of school and building a system for, you know, six years or something like that. So I think he gives us for, for the, his Baylor connections, his Waco connections and being um, a Juco guy with those, um, 
with, with that mindset for the last decade, I think that gives you the best chance of getting it turned around quickly. And then after that, it'll just be sustaining uh, what you can what you can put out there. You talked about, you know, he had a lot of he's a very aggressive recruiter. But from a coaching standpoint, what is his coaching style? What kind of guy is he? Yeah, I mean, he's tough. He's he's serious at the ballpark. It's not like, he you know, it's like every coach when you hear someone say that it's not like he doesn't joke around with the guys or get along with the players. But um, you can tell by his McLennan teams that they're they play aggressively. They play very sound on defense, but they're aggressive on offense. They are focused on what they're doing and they kind of stick to a to a game plan and really have an identity every year. Now it's changed with their roster turning over as much as it does. Um, it's hard to keep, you know, what, whatever your identity is for a year, it's hard to keep it. But I think that adaptability um, is going to be really be able to help him because, you know, whether it's a small uh, athletic group of guys that's not going to be popping a ton of home runs or, you know, a team full of six, four guys hitting them out into the river. Um, I think he's going to be able to adjust his style and uh, and and be successful. You know, look, it's been a long time since you played at Baylor. No offense. Uh, mm-hmm. Things change. Pitches change. Uh, it's, it's towns and everything change. But, I mean, he is the guy who helped to recruit you to Waco to, and, and play your career there. So, I'm like, what – What you say he's an aggressive recruiter. But, I'm mean, like, if I'm sitting here as a, as a potential recruit and he's coming to sit in my living room and trying to convince me to come to Baylor, like, what, what was that sales pitch like for you from him? For me, it was, you know, at the time, baseball was – and baseball, along with track and field and a couple of the other, you know, quote unquote, smaller sports were the success groups at Baylor at the athletic program. And so the pitch was was a lot about the school because there wasn't you couldn't take us to football games in Waco in 2006 and expect it to, you know, be part of why we were going to play baseball there. So he I mean, he had to sell everything else. And I and from Central Texas, both my parents grew up in Waco. I, I grew up in Houston and Austin, but I've been going to Waco for holidays my whole life. And if anything, that was keeping me from ever wanting to, to dip my toes into the water at, at Baylor. And, um, you know, I think we had lunch in either Austin or Houston after a, after a game. And he just convinced me to just come look at the campus because I'd be blown away. And, um, you know, I think it was about, 20 or 30 minutes into uh, to our to our first official visit at Baylor, I looked at my dad and I said, you know, this is this is this may be it. And it, it didn't take too long after that to get everything wrapped up. Max, I'm going to I'm going to wrap on this. You kind of hinted at it. I've seen some other people mention it. Um, it. It feels like the vibe from Baylor fans is this this hire should lead to a fairly quick turnaround for Baylor, not a not some long, slow, full rebuild. I mean, mm-hmm. how how quickly do you think that, that Baylor is is finding success now that Thompson is going to be the head coach? You know, it's still tough to say because this first year, it's he, there's a lot of guys going in the transfer portal. We already lost Trey Richardson and, and Kyle Nevin, who are two of the better, you know, three or four players on the roster. Um, it, so there, this, this first year is going to be a battle no matter what. Um It'll be interesting to see who he can bring with him. Obviously, if there's a few from McLennan and if he can, you know, maybe swing a couple other guys that he was playing against this year. Um, but I think, you know, if he gets, and this is probably what it's most dependent on, if he gets some funding to, to really upgrade and modernize the ballpark and bring it up to par um, with the other Big 12 and SEC programs that our stadium used to be compared to, 
I, I think the sky's the limit in three or four years, but it, you know, like money plays a big part and being able to show off a top of the line facility makes, you know, it makes a big difference to these high school kids now. And, you know, the ballpark's still a great place to watch a game on the river, especially kind of being engulfed by the rest of the athletic program at this point. Um, but the, the areas for the players and some of the batting cages and stuff like that are just falling a little bit behind at this point and, um, funding is going to matter. Very cool. Max, appreciate your time today, man. I mean, I, it's hard not to be excited for Baylor the way Baylor fans and Baylor media have talked about this hire. And, you know, there's just something really cool about bringing, feeling like you're bringing somebody home, somebody that has that connection to your program and to your university. So uh, great hire for Baylor. I look forward to seeing what he does in year one and moving forward. Uh, I know you are as well, man. Really looking forward to it. And if, if he's got an ear on it, congrats, Coach T. We're, we're, we're behind you. This is Brandon Phoenix, a.k.a. I also hate Pitt, joined by my brother, Jeremy J.N. Fiend Phoenix. We are the Raspy Voice Kids. We do the Raspy Voice Kids podcast. If you love West Virginia University, you will love our podcast. If you don't care about West Virginia University, you will love our pop culture segment. It begins every single episode. You can join in the fun. Anytime, any place, get at your boys. All right, we are officially beginning our position group pre- or rankings uh, for this offseason, and we're going to do it a little bit differently this year. Now, last year, we did just straight position groups, linebacker, receivers, offensive line. My big issue last year, once I got done, was I didn't feel like it really represented the teams well. Because, for instance, uh, I loved Texas Tech's linebacking core, um, but one of the topics we discussed about whilst ranking those position groups was the rest of the defense was going to kind of let them down and they weren't going to perform as well as maybe their talent indicated they should. Uh, you can make a perfect example with wide receiver. Iowa State, I would never rank Iowa State's wide receivers very high, but once you include tight end, suddenly their pass catching group uh, makes looks a lot better. And so that's kind of the philosophy I've decided to take how we're going to handle our position group rankings this year. We're going to do pass catchers. Uh, that's the first one for today. Uh, we're going to do pass rush, which obviously the defensive line, defensive end, and, and include uh, linebackers and safeties where necessary. Defensive backs, obviously corners and safeties. Um, and then we're going to do uh, blocking. So offensive line, as well as tight ends. Uh, and then if we want to, maybe we'll include running backs and wide receivers. We'll just see some of that's hard to gauge. Um, the way we usually do this, it's myself and two guests, uh, a, a Big 12 person, someone who focuses on the conference, and then somebody a little more national. In this case, I think I got the best of both worlds from both guests, uh, both covering the sport nationally as well as being pretty focused on the Big 12 with their uh, their particular favorite teams. Uh, so very excited to have uh, our good friend, Mr. Stats of War, Parker Fleming, joining us again. Parker, welcome back. Hey, thanks. Glad to be here, as always. Always, always a pleasure, man. And uh, I'm very excited. First time guest, but one I've been wanting to get on here on the show for for a while now. Uh, Mr. Ian Boyd joining the 1012 podcast. Ian, welcome, man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, Okay. I don't, you guys understand how this works, how this, how the rules work. I am curious your thoughts on, you know, it's one thing to just rank wide receiving groups and just, okay, these guys have this. But once we start incorporating tight ends and running backs, which is what we were going to do here today, because obviously pass catching backs, especially in the NFL, have become a big thing. You're seeing it more and more in college. Tight ends, as we've, we've seen across the Big 12, you know, Iowa State utilizing it uh, with Charlie Kohler being such a big weapon. Other teams don't utilize it nearly as much uh, in the as an actual receiver. Um, how did this kind of 
change your expectations or, or did you come in with a perception of something and it was changed by viewing it this way? For, for me, I think that there's like one or two teams we'll get to where I think, um, oh, specifically like maybe a tight end or a running back pushes them one or two spots in either direction. But generally I kind of, this is kind of how I think about like running backs in the past game are super valuable. And so this is kind of how I think about the units, but I think, I think it does give you a good way to kind of isolate and, um, and highlight who's important. I tried to be pretty like objective and create a kind of blind resume of receiving groups using tight ends and running backs, which normally I just would have used um, any, any way to give me like a, a, a kind of rubric. And so I think that the specific composition of like, are they more running back heavy? Well, overall, that probably means if you're running backs, like your best receiving threat, maybe that means your receiving groups actually not great and, and kind of um, looking, looking overall at that. So for me, at least I, I generally kind of think about the running back and the tight ends of the past game, especially in the big 12. For me, it was really helpful to distinguish which teams are likely to be good at throwing the ball because of play action and which teams are likely to be good at throwing the ball because they have multiple guys who can get open and beat a defense that way. So uh, there's a couple teams on here that I think I, I think I would have had them higher because I think the passing game might be effective, but they don't have a lot of weapons to throw to. So the guys they do have are going to be really dependent on, uh, you know, the greater structure of the offense. So that, that, that'll stand out, I think, in a few of these. Very cool. All right. Well, um, we'll, let's just, let's just dive right in. Um, Parker has asked not to go first. Um, so Ian, I'm going to, I'm going to allow you here. Um, who is your, who is your number one receiving core pass, pass catchers in the big 12? I think it's Texas, and I don't think it's that close. So there may be a debate there. I'm not sure where everybody is on that, but to me, that's the runaway favorite. All right, Parker? It's it's hard for me to disagree with that. So I basically tried to do four um, uh, like four categories uh, and did blind resumes. So put the numbers in, calculated the, the average ranks without looking at the teams, and then just said, these are my this is my list. So um, I have Texas... Number one, I have them at, um, uh, sorry, I have them rated 10, like a, a 10 power ranking out of 10. And the next closest group is like an 8.25, I think. Um, and so I have them like very, very big uh, in front there. The four, the four categories that I'm using are kind of the peak, like the, the upper end of talent there. And so obviously with Xavier Worthy, one of the best running back, or excuse me, one of the best wide receivers in the nation, um, looking just straight at his, like, I mean, talent ranking, the second highest rated just behind Jordan, Jordan Whittington of all, uh, recruiting rankings of all wide receivers in the big 12. Um, and so in terms of like their peak, their upper end, they're far and away better than everyone else in terms of their depth with Isaiah Nayer coming in and Jaleel Billingsley at, at, at tight end, they are, um, you know, top to bottom have really, really high quality options. And then, um, looking at their, their average talent, I have them rated first in the Big 12, uh, even over Oklahoma. And then finally, the last thing I looked at was like their losses. And uh, Xavier Worthy had 30% of targets thrown to him last year, bringing that like, you know, bringing him back and then bringing in Billingsley, who got a lot of targets um, and obviously having the running backs out of the backfield there. There's there's really not many ways for anyone else to be better than Texas uh, across all four dimensions. Uh, couple that with a higher Brennan Marion. And what he did with uh, Jordan, um, uh, who's the pit guy? What the heck? Atkinson. 
I Jordan A, yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, but I mean, I just I just think it's a slam dunk uh, unit, probably maybe the best unit in the Big Twelve, like overall. Like Texas receivers are better than anyone else's individual unit. I think it's pretty pretty clear. Nayor also to add to that, Nayor is is a big a part as Worthy was for Texas's pass game last year. Nayor was a much bigger part of Wyoming's passing game. He basically was their passing game. Had like yeah. 12 of their 15 touchdown receptions. Um, yeah, they have. It's very rare to have that many productive, high volume receivers all come back on the same team. Obviously, Nayor wasn't on the team, but to have a guy like Worthy come back is is kind of rare. Um, obviously, it's because he was only a true freshman. Normally, a guy has a, a year like that, and he's at risk of leaving. So. Uh, they were they they're going to benefit richly this year and the same also Bijan Bijan is also a very good pass catching running back as is Roshan really although he's not like explosive but he's very steady at it and uh Bijan also was not eligible for the draft yet so they get to benefit there as well and Ian is it your sense um that uh this is a question I just wanted to ask you uh I I I get the sense from the numbers that Roshan is a little bit more checked down and Bijan is a little bit more like they design passes for him. And so maybe that explains the discrepancy in explosiveness. Like Roshan's a secondary option. That is precisely it. Yeah. I love it when the numbers line up with uh with my yeah. with my eyes. That's great. Roshan is a great check down guy. He could probably do a little more, but that's how he tends to be used. Bijan, they would uh they would throw him a lot of wheel routes and they would scheme him open. And he could also flex out too. He's they didn't even fully utilize everything that guy can do as a receiver. It's kind of unbelievable. Yeah. Well, that, that lines up with, with Roshan having a slightly higher grade than, than Robinson on PFF as far as, as running backs, as receivers go. So, you know, it, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you guys have made the, the valid point. Like, it's not just the talent at the top, like the depth is there. Oh, by the way, they added Tariq Milton from Iowa State, who, I mean, just, let's just add another guy to it. Uh, you added uh, Jatavian Sanders, the five-star tight end. Uh, I like Brennan Thompson as well. So they... They have a ton of talent. They've got a lot of depth. Like, Mark, at your point of this might be the most just the best individual group uh, in the Big 12. Like, if I stop and think of like, okay, when we start just off the top of my head thinking about who's got the best this, I mean, I, I think that's a valid point. I think it's the it's the one you just kind of go, yeah, it's their receiving core. And that's, I mean, you can say that without adding in the tight ends and the running backs, I think, because the amount of depth they added this offseason to the transfer portal and recruiting, like I just, I think their receiving core is just that good on its own. And then you add in how good as receivers, both running backs are, and you add in Billingsley at the tight end. And if the five-star pops in as, as a freshman, like I, it's, it's, let's just put it this way. Quinn Ewers is not going to have, I didn't have anyone to throw to as an excuse if he's not any good this year. Yeah. Yeah, I have some other worthy stats that are that are worthy of sharing, if you will, just because I pulled them. Um, four four guys are coming back. Uh, four receivers are coming back in the nation that have uh, at least thirty percent of their team's target shares. That's Josh Downs at UNC with forty one. Then Worthy is second with thirty one point seven percent of target share. Uh, Dante Cephas at Kent State, and then um, Jason Brownlee at Southern Miss. Um, and so worthy, you know, uh, obviously second in the power five, second and second in FBS at target share. He's also one of four returners who averaged uh, 13 plus average depth of target and six plus yards after catch, which um, is just absurd. It was him, Jaden Reed at Michigan State, Zay Flowers 
and, and Quentin Johnston. And he led that group with 8.5 yards after catch on average. So um, he had an amazing year. Like Ian said, like, it's kind of absurd that he's not in the NFL draft just because of eligibility, but like those kind of numbers, I mean, he's, he, he, he's probably wide receiver one, um, one of well, candidates for wide receiver one. If he takes a step forward from, from last year, even given, you know, some of the other uh, really, really good wide receivers out there. They get two more years though. Cause he's, he'll still. Only oh, you have to go three. My gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. It's going to be wild. Um, Hey, again, it sets up Quinn Ewers perfectly for those two to have two full years together. Like, you don't have any excuses. Like, they are absolutely loaded. That was uh, oh, probably a factor also just in how they were able to accumulate so much talent also. These guys want to run down the field for that guy. So, yeah, not, very not true. reasonable. Okay, so consensus number one, Texas, not too surprising there. Uh, I'm curious if we're going to get more interesting at two and moving on. Uh, okay, Ian, since you kicked off first, um, who do you have at number two? I, so for number two, I had um, – double check. Yeah, Oklahoma State. This is where okay. I think there will be debate. But um, my reasoning there is – I actually don't know who the – I don't know who their top running back will be. The A&M transfer, DeAndre Jackson, he might be that guy. Um, not really sure. Tight end, they have a couple of guys. They have a Braden Cassidy, who's really a glorified fullback. And then they have Blaine Green, who played most of last year. And he's actually a good receiving tight end, but I'm not sure if he'll factor in regularly or not. But um, basically, I'm betting on Jaden Bray, Rashad Owens, uh, the blue chip freshman. I think that it's going to be a classic Oklahoma State thing where it's like, okay, who's the next star Z receiver that's going to be like three and out to the NFL? Um, I think Jaden Bray probably will be that guy, and they may have another one as well. I'm just, so I'm just kind of banking on the flashes we've seen from guys like Bray and then just the fact that Oklahoma State has been at this for a while, and they have pretty good recruiting inputs at receiver. Okay. We're, we are vastly different on OSU, which I'm the OSU guy, so that's interesting. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I will get to OSU uh, later. Parker, who do you have it to? Uh, I'm, I, I have so many comments on that, but I, I love, Ian, the way thinking about like continuity and, and risk. I do think there's a strong argument there. I am a little lower on Oklahoma State. Um, I actually have second, uh, and, and again, I need to say not whose passing game is going to be the best, but whose mm-hmm. receiving core is the best. I actually have TCU second. And again, I did blind resume here. I looked at peak Quentin Johnson is excellent. Would start on, I think 10 of 11 or nine of nine of 10 other, um, big 12 teams, uh, at wide receiver, just absolute, you know, stud, uh, one of the other four guys who averaged, um, 13 yards or 13 uh, average depth of target and six plus yards uh, after catch. So their peak is really, really high. If you look at their depth, they've got Darius Davis, Tay Barber coming back, Quentin Johnston, um, uh, a really deep and experienced unit, along with guys like Quincy Brown and Jokarius Spivey, who are highly rated, um, who have gotten involved in different ways. And then um, Kendra Miller out of the backfield has been actually pretty, pretty good in the past game as well. And so um, TCU's talent is, uh, I think they're ranked, fourth overall um but the fact that they bring back johnson that makes them second in returning receiver production returning targets um and, and then 
they have, uh, you know, as much depth as anybody in that peak of having Johnston. I, I think that there's a really strong argument that TCU has the second best wide receiver core here. How much do you, how much should you factor in a, the quality of the number one guy? Because I, I don't know the degree, the degree to which I did this initially, but I would probably, looking back, I would say if you have a guy that commands safety help all the time, that's gonna that should probably make your whole unit rank higher. That's so that's one fourth of my that like with peak, that's like one fourth of my ranking is who's okay. your best, like what's your number one guy. And so the better that guy is, the better your whole unit is, just because you're right, like double teams help scheme open it up underneath for for other guys as well. So like Kendra Miller is not the best pass catching running back in the Big 12, but because Quentin Johnson can spread the field so vertically. Um, that opens up a lot of underneath options for, for him to do really, really fun stuff too. So that, that, so definitely kind of how I'm thinking about it is your, your single best guy determines your ceiling for sure. I think, I think that's a really good case for TCU. I actually forgot that Barber was back or I just missed him in my notes. He kind of uh, got taken over by Davis last year anyway, but like, he's still good. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think OSU will end up with one of those guys. I think they will end up with a Quentin Johnston type. So I still feel good about them, but uh, yeah, I think TCU. Also, Jared Wiley, the tight end, was a really good receiver at Texas and uh, didn't really get to show it that much. I think he's going to show some stuff at TCU as a receiver that was uh, very sporadic in Austin. Yeah, that's that's fair. I think they're they're really, like I've heard Wiley's name a bunch and they're really high on Spivey. Spivey had some issues with uh, I don't know. I won't come. I won't speculate. Had some issues with the field last year, but um, I think they've got two options. And of course, obviously they have an offense that's going to use tight ends more than just extra blockers now um, or gimmick plays. So yeah, Parker, you took all the good notes, but no, I had to you it too as well. I think I am in the camp of if you have a guy who who's going to demand that much attention that it opens up the field for everybody else that I, that I put you higher. Now I still expect everybody else to be solid. Um, there is a team here where I don't have Iowa state super high when we get to them, even though they have a guy, but I don't, I don't know enough about everything else around him to, to feel great. But with TCU, I feel pretty solid about the guys they have behind Quentin Johnson to feel like he elevates their receiving core up. And, and it's not just, um, we're talking about Kendra Miller. I think, uh, Amari DeMarcado has a, has a decent rating for PFF as far as receiving goes of running backs in the big 12. So you've got two guys, you know, you can throw to out of the backfield. You've got some solid wide receivers. Uh, I think Athlon actually rate Tay Barber on one of their preseason big 12 teams. So like I have TCU too, as well. Um, having Quentin Johnson and then everything around him to me in the Big 12, if you've got a guy the defense has had to focus on, and then you have some, you have two or three other, at least two other decent guys behind him, I'm going to feel pretty good about your receiving core. Um, even if one of those other two is, you know, a running back like Andrew Miller. So I mean, TCU's, TCU's defense, or excuse me, TCU's receiving core was so good that they pushed five-star Marcel Brooks back to the defensive side of the ball. So that's saying a lot there. <laughs> I wish the podcast listeners could see the eye roll that both of you just gave me there. <laughs> Podcasting is a visual medium. Um, okay, Ian. Uh, so then who do you have at number three? Um, third, I had Oklahoma. Um, I They are very tricky for me. Um, both of their tight ends are pretty solid receivers. We'll probably see that this year. 
Um, probably a lot of gimmick plays to the tight end with the new Jeff Levy offense. And uh, I think Marvin Mims is kind of perfect for what they want to do. I think he'll be effective. Wees, I'm not really sure about, uh, but he's not untalented. And uh, Drake Stoops is solid, probably not as great a fit for this system. I, I think on, in hindsight, I would knock them down just a little bit to maybe fourth, but uh, that's what I have right there. They also got that um, that transfer from uh, Arizona State, I think, LV Bunkley Shelton. Uh, I don't know. He's I guess he's probably there for the summer and uh, has quite a bit of eligibility left. And uh, they have, they still have, they've, they lost a lot and they still have a lot left. So uh, I'm, I'm curious to see what Parker's numbers say on them. I think that I bet you your numbers overall are pretty favorable to them. Yeah, I, I also have them at third, and that's um, I have them uh, third at their at their peak. Um, Mems, I think, is going to have a long and productive NFL career. He's obviously a little smaller, a little slot guy, and so that changes the dynamics of kind of what your you know if your best receiver is that. Um, uh, in terms of depth, they're second. In terms of talent, they're second. I mean, depth they have the you know it, it, in addition to the transfers, like they just got a ton of guys who can play. Um, second in talent, obviously, and then in losses, I have them fifth. So they are one of six Big Twelve teams who lose their top target from 2021. But uh, Hazelwood was only 16.6 percent, so he was like the lowest top target. So Oklahoma distributed their targets really, really well, and so losing their top target. That doesn't hurt as much because they distributed the ball a bunch uh, last year around. And, and so that kind of makes them um, third overall uh, just, just right there. There is a little bit of uncertainty. They don't have one of the 10 highest volume returners. Like there, there is a lot of question marks about who's going to plug in and how it's going to work. But like, obviously Nems is a guy, obviously Levy wants to throw the ball. Um, and so I think that uh, I think that I'm comfortable with them being them being third um, slightly behind TCU just for all the turnover um, and, and and some questions about fit. So we all have Oklahoma at three then. So another consensus. Uh, I would throw in Eric Gray at running back, who pretty highly rated as a pass catching back. Um, he would be the top graded returning running back as a pass catcher by PFF. Uh, Brees Hall was number one last year, and obviously he's gone. Uh, so too is Tristan Evers. So he's he's just ahead of Deuce Vaughn, according to PFF rankings. So um, Ian's saying no. He's shaking his head no. Uh, There's no way. There's no way. That's got to be on some sort of efficiency fluke or something, especially the way that Levy's offense works. Like, there's no way. If you're like, if you're like picking a running back to feature, to throw to, it's got to be Deuce Vaughn or Bijan over, over that guy, I would think. Maybe. I'm just telling you, I'm not saying this is a projection. This is a look back at last season. Yeah. Based on, hey, I, PFF isn't the perfect on everything. I'm just, we, we have the points of reference I have. <laughs> but yeah, look, and I, I think, you know, you mentioned uh, Bunkley Shelton from Arizona State, 33 catches. 12.7 average yard per catch. Like, I think he's a nice addition. It's kind of flown under the radar. Um, obviously, OU recruits well at wide receivers. There's plenty of talent there. Uh, we'll see how Drake Stoops translates, but I consider him. There's always like a couple of irritating receivers who you love them when they're on your team because they're going to 
make catches when you need them and, and you hate them when you're playing against them and he's one of those ones. So I have OU at three as well. Um, I, I I agree on, I'm curious how everything translates to the new offense um, and just seeing if they have some guys step up because if if anything happens to Mims, I mean, we can say that for TCU as well. We can say that for a lot of teams, but there's not a lot behind him that I'm just like, they're awesome. I mean, obviously someone might step up, but but I'll, I'll take them at three as well. They have to have somebody else that can stretch the field in the system. And I don't know if that's Weeze or not. I think Weeze can run comebacks all day and be effective. But even if Mims is healthy, they need somebody else to go deep. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's Shelton. I don't know if they bring in. Uh, I don't know if somebody else ends up in the rotation because of that. Like maybe Stoops doesn't play as much because he's not as much of a vertical stretch guy. Um, so th- there, there's a chance that this kind of goes belly up for them a little bit. If teams just kind of park a safety over Mims and say, okay, Dylan Gabriel, make reads and throw underneath all day. And uh, we bet you can't. Okay. Which, there are worse strategies, I guess, <laughs> for them to, for them to do. All right, Ian, uh, who you got number four? Okay. Um, number four, West Virginia. So- <laughs> okay. Okay. But we, we all agree that after like, after the top three, it gets real murky. Like this is everything, every position in the Big Twelve. Because I, I think I, I um, West Virginia could be could be fourth or eighth for me, uh, depending on how you argue this. Okay, so I'm thinking that Bryce Ford Wheaton has the potential to be. I I see him as like Jaden Bray. Like these guys might end up being some of the better outside receivers in the league next season. Um, I think he's shown pretty consistent flashes of it for the last couple of years and they just didn't have uh the blocking or quarterback to get him the ball now they have jt daniels their offensive line is a lot better so i think bryce ford whedon really good sam james back in the slot uh they're very very high on Caden prather opposite bryce ford whedon so you already have like three guys you may have like the ideal kind of air raid setup where you have like this reliable veteran slot explosive weapons outside and then uh tied in running back maybe not exactly uh charlie kolar there but there you go to me they they might have they might have like exactly what you want at the three main receiver positions so to me that was worth a lot all right parker who do you have it for uh, I'm actually going to go uh, maybe against my better judgment, but I'm going to go with Texas Tech at number four. Um, I have them pretty low on their peak because I think it's uncertain who their kind of big, deep out, outside threat is, whether that's going to be Sparkman or um, uh, Loic, who kind of uh, builds out. But I really love what they have at the slot and at running back and at tight end here with the addition of Baylor Cup. I think Mason Tharp and Baylor Cup as a... Um, as a combo could prevent some, present some really, really interesting matchup issues. Um, if they can use them well, not to mention they have miles price in the slot. So they've got, you know, big bodies that you've got to credibly defend over the middle. They've got fast shifty guys. 
um, which should free up a lot of space for Sparkman and and to, to you know become that uh, down downfield threat. They do lose Eric Izukanma, which puts them about seventh in losses. Um, but I have them fourth at depth because I like those guys. And then you remember um, they have uh, out of the backfield. Uh, Sir Roderick Thompson is a is a, a fine rusher, a good pass catcher. They also are moving um, Xavier White and uh, Chadwell. Um, totally blanking Chadwell, whatever his last name is, Thompson, Thomas, uh, back from what they had moved to wide receiver. Cause the room was pretty thin. They moved them back to slot. So they're going to have kind of this chaos offense where they've got some big bodies and a bunch of shifty guys. And I, I think there's really an opportunity for a downfield threat to emerge coupled with, um, I do think they'll run, um, a, a lot more high volume offense for sure than they were last year, the last couple of years. So, um, this is an argument from depth, I think, and just, I really like what I think they're going to try to do. Uh, Zach Kitley, of course, the offensive coordinator from West, uh, Western Kentucky saying, Hey, we're going to, you know, get the best 11 players on the field and make something happen. Um, I, I, I like that. I like this, this mix. I think they will be scrappy. I think they're a pretty high quality, pretty high floor uh, group here. Okay. So this is the first time we all have somebody different. Um, I'll be honest here, four through eight, there's not much like there's one through three, there's a gap. There's four through eight, there's a gap, and there's nine to ten. Uh, but at four, I have Kansas State. Uh, I like Malik Knowles and Philip Brooks, and, and I think if you've got two solid guys, and look, I understand it's a running back, and it's not maybe the best thing that one of your running that your running back is one of your three best receivers. But when it's Deuce Vaughn and as he is as reliable a pass catcher as he is, then I'm perfectly fine saying that is a that is a very very nice pass catching trio. Um, and to be to be honest, with the quarterback issues they've had with injuries the last few years, like I do think that's held their receiving core back some. I like the Nebraska transfer whose name just completely escaped Adrian Martinez. Like I like Martinez. I'm I'm higher on him than I think a lot of people are. That's fine. I hold Nebraska more responsible for some Martinez issues than I think a lot of other people do. Um I think him being at Kansas State will be good for him and it will be good for the receiving core. I I like what they have now. I'll be honest, behind those three. There's, there's not a lot to, to feel awesome about. There's a lot of question marks. Maybe Cade Warner does well. Maybe Jaden Jackson, trans- the Ole Miss transfer, does something. He didn't do much. I think Sammy Wheeler might end up being their fourth best option at tight end. Um, he's He's been semi-reliable for them before. So I like them there just because I think I really, really like their top three. And I think Deuce Vaughn, I think that's how much I like Deuce Vaughn as a, as a pass catcher and as a weapon elevates them all the way up there. I had them fifth, so I, I I feel pretty similarly about them as you do. I think um, Deuce Vaughn is such a terror in the middle of the field on third down, and the way that you have to like send safeties to help your linebackers to avoid just getting destroyed, it really opens things up for the receivers. It's almost like a it's almost like the reverse of having an amazing deep threat receiver. And uh, I think, yeah, with Brooks and some of their outside receivers have just been there forever. And then probably more consistent quarterbacking. I think me and Parker are both with you on Adrian Martinez. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that they will reward being ranked higher than, like, say, their recruiting talent inputs would have suggested. 
Yeah, I have them very close to Texas Tech in, in at, at fifth there. Uh, Texas Tech, I had ranked at five, uh, 5.5 power rating and Kansas State, I've got 5.25. So I think right there, I think the big issue is that depth. So in terms of a peak, I think they, you know, obviously two threats, they're really great. I, I'm high on Malik Knowles. I think it creates separation. Um, and then um, in, in terms of uh, in terms of depth, they're a little lower than Texas Tech. Their talent is actually last in the in the, in the uh, conference um, on average, just looking at the kind of who's who's supposed to start. And so it, it is Kansas State. And so they don't care. Um, and obviously, <laughs> Deuce Vaughn and um, uh, Deuce Vaughn is, is better than his rankings and all that. But again, top to bottom talent is kind of a general good indicator. Um, and then they really don't lose a lot. I, I think it was really interesting to me how they never got Daniel Imortibi to uh, um, kind of manifest as like a big threat on the inside there at tight end. But I think that um, uh, they, they just have enough upside and um, consistency that that they're going to be pretty, pretty good there. Um, and then of course, like the, the biggest thing for Deuce Vaughn is just, you, you just have to keep track of him. Like there are very few players in the, in the nation where on every play you've got to think, okay, he might be somewhere different. Where is he going to be? And then how can we avoid the matchup kind of game of chess? So he's, he's, you know, they use him really well for that. So they're, they're my fifth best, just right there by Texas tech um, before, you know, I think we have a, a sizable gap to number six. When they pair him on like uh swing passes and little option routes with quarterback draw RPOs, it's going to be rough. Because the last couple of years, I've said this to on blue in the face, but like they do that little thing where they line him up in the backfield or in the slot and then motion him to the other side of the field. And like half of his 2020 touchdowns were linebackers, like holding their hands up, like, wait, I should not be matched up on him. And then he ran that little angle route. And if they can, you know, so people are correcting to that. And if, if, if uh, Klein can like utilize Adrian Martinez's legs to, to just add another wrinkle to that whole kind of design, it's going to be, it's going to be dangerous. But does Colin Klein have anything in his background that would give him any expertise in how to do that? I mean, he's presumably watched YouTube videos the last couple of years. I don't know. <laughs> That's, that was literally what he did. Yeah. Three years. The man had 300 carries in 2011 at quarterback. Yeah. Um, and they, I mean, Bill, like Bill Snyder was running, yeah, the offense they need to run now. Um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Uh, so you guys both have Kansas State at fifth. Um, I have West Virginia at fifth, you know, one spot behind you. Uh, for a lot of the same reasons, I, I like what they have with, with Bryce Ford Wheaton. I like Sam James. Um, I think Reese Smith is solid. We'll see what Caden Prather does. Michael Laughlin's not bad at tight end. Like he's a nice piece that you can dump to underneath. I, my big issue with West Virginia is I just don't know at running back, like, and maybe they're just not going to throw two of them much. And I don't know enough about, um, the system they're running to be like, yeah, they throw to the running back a lot. And I probably should have gone and checked out USC's stats the last few years to figure that out. Um, but I also just, I, I have such a big question mark with them at running back period without Laddie Brown there. Um, and I'm sure they'll have some, I'm, I'm sure the guys they have are going to be fine. But I do really like what they have at receiver. And and if you've got two guys I feel good about, again, some of this is like, if you can have a whole bunch of of Robins, but I feel like West Virginia's got two guys in Bryce Ford Wheaton and Sam James that I'm going to feel very comfortable with, uh, especially stretching downfield uh, for West Virginia. So I will keep them at fifth. You know what? I just looked it up and 
Harrell was not really throwing to the running backs. I mean, well, okay. Some, but not like Leach. Like Leach would have like, routinely have his running backs would be like uh, 80 catches, 70, 80 catches. Um, and they would get to 200 touches by through their work as receivers. And Harold, Harold does not have the same feature to his USC teams that I'm seeing. Although they do catch a fair number of touchdowns. So, uh, or they did at least once. Um, I don't know. They got a, it's probably not going to feature that prominently would be my guess. They're probably not going to throw to their running backs that much. And uh, Neil Brown has been more of a uh, run the ball air raid guy. I think Harold has been much, is much less so, but he may blend a little bit with that, especially with the offensive line they have. So I think uh, I, I, I would be surprised if West Virginia puts a big onus on throwing to the running backs this season. So if that's the case, then their running backs being reliable pass catchers isn't really going to matter. It's just going to put that much more on the guys that we, we, yeah. uh, Bryce Ford Wheaton and Sam James. So that may, and so that I don't like it. It almost makes them like, if those are the guys they're relying more on and I feel good about them, I, I'm going to put them at fifth. Like I said, fourth and fifth, I got them pretty close together there. So there's not, not a big gap. Uh, so moving on to sixth, Ian, who do you have? Um, two, three, four, five. I had TCU fifth and Kansas State sixth. So we just talked a fair bit, okay. fair bit about those two. So you had TCU fifth, Kansas State sixth. Okay. And um, I'll those for you. Do you want me to skip ahead to the next one? Uh, well, go ahead and I talk about TCU a little bit. I don't think you've you've. Why do you have them where you have them? Uh, I. It's a good question. I think them and Oklahoma and West Virginia are all three pretty close to me. Um, Oklahoma State, I really think, is a little bit ahead because of Presley. Already is pretty well known. And Jaden Bray, like I didn't mention this earlier, but like when Oklahoma State saw Bray in one-on-ones against Baylor in the Big 12 championship game, they were checking it to him. And he had like a touchdown and drew a couple DPIs in the in the end zone and Baylor couldn't really handle him. So I just another plug for Jaden Bray and Oklahoma state. But um, I think with TCU, I guess you could say this exact same thing about West Virginia where Bryce Ford Wheaton has flashed, but not ever really put it together. I feel like the same is a little bit true of Quentin Johnston. I feel pretty confident. I'm sure Parker feels exceptionally confident that that's mostly due to quarterback and system and team emphasis and context, but he's just not quite, he's never quite been the dominant guy. He seems like he could be. And really nobody in their offense has been that safe for their running backs. And uh, I, I don't know if they, if they ended up being number two, like TC, like uh, Parker Adam, that would not shock me. I think that they definitely have some talent, but um uh, I don't know. I guess, I guess I thought it was a little more likely when I did this that Oklahoma State and West Virginia would put it together. All right. So you had TCU fifth, Kansas State sixth. Parker, who do you have sixth? This is where I go, Oklahoma State. Um, 
at, at sixth year. And I, and this is kind of the, the drop-off. So I'll say this is where we get like a lot of uncertainty. So everyone above them was rated five or better on my little 10 point crude scale. And now we're down to 3.75. So everybody's below five going, going here, but they're all kind of within a point. So a lot of uncertainty here for Oklahoma state. Again, they lose a ton of production. Um, and I think that that matters just that turnover. Um, I also think that, um, so they lose Tay Martin 28.9% of targets. That's the second biggest loss in the big 12 there. If you look at their, um, if you look at their peak, because there's uncertainty, I have, I have them sixth actually in peak. I think, uh, I think Presley is really interesting, but from what I've seen of him really kind of a, a, a yak guy there. Um, and a lot of that is, can we get him the ball in space? Like not as, it, it hasn't seemed just like a sophisticated route tree as some of these other like downfield guys. Um, and then I, I, I like Bray. I think they're very talented. I have them, um, well, looking at my talent, actually they're, they're right there with Iowa state. They're actually tied with Iowa state in terms of talent, top to bottom in that, in that unit rating. Um, and then given that their losses are so much, I think the uncertainty, um, it's certainly true that, that Gundy is, has a way of finding these guys, but how much of a step forward is, is Spencer Sanders going to take? I don't, I don't know. Um, maybe that's unfair because I'm supposed to say the quality of the, the receivers, but kind of putting all that together, I think there's just so much uncertainty that it's hard to rank this unit much higher than this kind of fifth, you know, fifth or sixth range, even though there's a lot of potential, I think they're very high ceiling. I think their mean is a little closer to the middle of the conference at, at that position. Okay. At six, I have Texas tech. Um, I think OSU and Texas Tech, and, I, and I'll be honest, I have OSU one spot down. Um, I think there's a lot of similarities here. You've got a lot of depth at receiver. You've got a bunch of running backs who I think can pass catch well. You've got two offenses that I don't think utilize the tight end in the pass catch as, as pass catchers much at all. OSU's cowboy back is essentially we need help on the offensive line every year, so just go be extra blockers. Um, and I don't... I, Looking through Kitley's offense, they don't throw the tight end a ton. He does throw the running back a decent amount. So does OSU out of the backfield. So I, I kind of have OSU. I have, I have Tech here, and I have OSU at seven just because I think there's so much similarities. I have Tech one spot ahead of OSU because I like Miles Price, and I like Loic, And I think I feel more confident as Price kind of potentially being their stud guy. And I don't know who's going to step up for OSU and be their star yet. There's so much talent at OSU. They always tend to have somebody step up and I think they will. Um, it could be Taylor Shetron as a true freshman. I just, and I really like Jaden Bray too. I just, I, I'm giving Tech the slight edge over OSU, even though I think they're very similar, just because I am more confident in Miles Price potentially being the guy than I am a true guy for OSU until one actually shows themselves. Can I talk about tech a little bit? Yeah, please. I don't know very much about Miles Price. I may have tech considerably higher on my list if I knew, knew him a little better. Um, I tend to, whenever I think about tech, I'm like, well, their offensive line, I don't know. And Tyler Shuck seems to be very easily confused every year. So I'm just, just don't really want to go there, but from what I can tell, their vision this year is to be almost like, um, do you remember that year when Purdy led the Big 12 in pass attempts? And he threw mm -hmm. for like 4,000 yards maybe. But they did it from 12 personnel with Kolar and, and uh, um, Chase Allen. I think Allen, that they're going yeah. to, I think Tech is going to kind of look like that, only maybe with a little more explosion over the top than Iowa State had. 
because um, they have uh, what Tharp is that his name? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Mason Mason Tharp. Yeah, Mason Tharp. He's like a big kind of receiver, and they have Baylor Cup from Texas A and M, and I just see them. I know that Kitley wants to throw it over your head. I know that he wants to throw it deep all the time. But I also know that he has a lot of vision for using these tight ends very heavily next year. Um, it was a recruiting pitch that they've made um, of very recently. So I have this suspicion that they're going to play Cup and Tharp a lot and use them to try to create matchups and opportunities for Price and, and Loic and whoever else to get down the field. I don't, I don't know of anyone on their team that I've seen that I'm like, that guy is going to be horrifying just running verticals down the field. But if they have that guy, this could be very, very effective. Um, I just don't know, is Price that guy or is he more like an underneath slot guy? If he's Deshante Jones, then they'll be good, but that's whatever. If he's, if he's, a, if he's Marvin Mims, then – look out yeah, they they could actually be legitimately terrifying they so prices um price is definitely out of the slot but moving white and uh chadwell outside i don't i don't know not chadwell chadarius uh I, I don't know like where they'll use him the one the one thing i have circled for tech is like jj sparkman has gained 20 pounds since he's been on campus and his his um so he's 6'4 225 now that's on texas tech's website i imagine that's closer to like 6'3 220 but still that's a big body. And his, um, his like recruiting profile talks about, you know, basketball player could be like a flex tight end. So I think they're just, I just think they're going big bodies. Like the, it's going to be weird, but I don't know if they're going to, like, they might be able to engineer just having three freak kind of big dudes with, with Tharp and Sparkman. And, and if cup is healthy, I mean, I just don't know how well people can match up if you can reliably run all those guys down and have slot guys and then have a credible threat um, um, downfield. That 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 gives you a lot of opportunity to ma- create matchup nightmares against teams that might be more talented than you. Um, so I think their versatility is definitely maybe the biggest thing that's driving um, my like how high I am on them. But I agree there's a lot of uncertainty there. You know who I really don't want is my quarterback, if that's my approach. Don't say it. No, stop. You already, I already let you get away with Doug and slander earlier, but no, no, I Tyler want Donovan Sh- Smith. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I want Donovan Smith in that offense. I don't, because these guys are, um, Shuck, I, for Shuck, I want verticals and you're yes. just reading. Is he open? Great. Chuck it with my big arm that had everyone before last year thinking I might be an NFL guy. I don't really want him having to like decipher matchups and understand defensive personnel and figure out where the matchup is on a play. Like Purdy was good at that. I know Purdy had some weird decision-making stuff a lot, but he could, he could play that matchup game and he knew where to find his guys. Um, and when, and if it, if the picture was different after the snap than he expected, he was going to run around and make something happen or like hit a guy on a crosser off his back foot going, you know, and Shuck is not that guy. So none of this negates the point of the podcast, which is supposed to be about the pure ability of the receiving core. But I just, I don't really like that formula unless Shuck has some abilities if coached differently that we haven't seen yet. Of all the, the schools taking injury out of it 
Texas Tech feels like the one that might have the most likely quarterback change, not because of an injury. I mean, Donovan unless Smith Texas starts, like unless markedly... unless Texas starts Hudson Card for some reason and then switches to yours, I think, and they're not. But I'm just of of the schools. Name the one where you say they come in with 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 no. That's the guy might make a change midway through the season based off what they want to do because not somebody else is going to run it better. I think Texas Tech is that one because I am on the Donovan Smith train as well. I would rather have him over Shuck. I think they le- they're going to start Shuck because that feels like where they're leaning, but it wouldn't shock me if Donovan Smith's the starter by the end of the year. I think you're right. I don't think it's even close now that Bohannon is gone. Unless well, I think I'm uh, I think I'm warming to the idea that Duggan's going to take the first snap at TCU and they're going to phase him out for Morris. So, but that feels like inevitable. Why would they do that? Uh, I I I think that they I the way that it's going, I think they're prioritizing a little bit of leadership and they don't want to do anything that's like a dramatic change. We could do this on a different podcast episode. I don't have to go into psycho like psychology of this. Just again, nothing nothing meaningful has happened since spring. I'm just saying Morris hasn't been as obviously better than Duggan as everyone is assuming. And I think that they're leaning towards the status quo of we're going to go into the season with Max Duggan, hoping that either he takes the job uh, or Morris kind of establishes himself as the starter. Wow. Ideally, you wouldn't want that to happen. Yeah. Ideally, you wouldn't want that to happen. Ideally, one of them is transferring because the other one is so good. But yeah. Mm, Okay. So that's the only reason I push back on on you there for Texas Tech is I, I think it's TCU, but Okay. Yeah, you made this it. This is an interesting side debate. Did not know we were going to get into, but okay. Uh, <laughs> now that Shane, now that Shane Ellingworth transferred, I mean, nobody's pushing for Spencer Sanders' job. Then I think TCU is the the second. <laughs> maybe maybe Wrangell next year. Okay, so uh, I had text. I had text six. OSU seven. Ian, who do you have at number seven? Seven. I have uh, seven. I have Baylor. Okay. Um. Actually, Travis Roeder. He, uh, he had some comment earlier about how he wasn't really worried about the receivers. The tight ends were really good. And I thought, aren't Baylor's tight ends just like big brutes that block well? And then if you throw it and hit them, hit them in the hands, they'll not drop it. And I think they have like two or three guys like that. But Ben Sims, he had some examples. Ben Sims is actually a pretty solid receiver. He's more of the um, flex tight end in high school that was taught to block in college. So I think he's pretty good. Um, Squirrel Williams at running back helps this ranking a little bit. And um, it's really, they have to get high level production from either the transfer Hal Presley or the freshman uh, Armani Winfield, which I think is pretty feasible. Um, In hindsight, maybe I would put them eighth and have another team that I'm sure will come up in just a second in the seventh slot, but that's, that's how I ranked it initially. Oh, and Monterey Baldwin is apparently the guy that seems like the one that they're counting on breaking out. I don't know much about him. I'm sure we, we will very soon. I mean, I'll put him on the all name team, but other than that, um, good. Yeah. Yeah. Monterey Baldwin. That's if that man doesn't have a mustache, he better grow on quick. Uh, okay. So Parker, who do you have here at I, number seven? So I, I think I have West Virginia. I'm, I'm very 
uh, I have Baylor, Baylor, Iowa State, West Virginia are all within like half a point for me in this rating. And so I don't have a strong lean on any of those, but I think I go with West Virginia. Just some of the things you guys have talked about, I think I agree with. And, and um, the, the, you know, like I, I, they lose, they lose a lot in, in losing um, uh, uh, Winston, right. But uh, he dropped a bunch of balls and Sam James dropped a bunch of balls last year. And there's going to be other guys that are going to get passes that are not on him. Uh, and so I like their, I like, I like their peak. I like their depth. I think that I'm going West Virginia there. Um, I, I, I will say in terms of like Baylor that we probably, I, I'll probably have them. I, I have them eighth. I think they're, um, if I'm a fan, I can talk myself into these guys becoming guys that I root for like for sure. Um, and then like there, there, there's absolutely like opportunity for Baylor, but they lose 30.8% of their targets, uh, like a, a third of their productive targets. If you look at their tight ends, um, Grant and I talked about this on the podcast last year when we were previewing Baylor, like that's the Jeff Grimes special is like, we're going tight end, um, in, in the red zone and we're going to hit him. Like Ben Sims had five touchdowns. I, I don't have this number exactly in front of me. I would guarantee that all of them are at or at or near the goal line in the red zone there. And so I, I don't know, like he's fine. He's good. I don't know that he is a tight end that, that like they're going to ask anything of a tight end outside of that rule where anything else would matter. I think that's just kind of how the scheme works. Um, but I think they, they lose Taekwon Thornton and I just, I mean, again, I, I, they also lose Tristan Ebner, who's really good out of the backfield as a pass catcher and kind of was playing wide receiver. I don't know how, how you can be, um, how you can look at those two losses and look at who's coming in and say, uh, yeah, they're going to be a, a, a solid unit. Like, could they? Yes. Is there a potential for it? Yes. But I mean, just everything on paper, it, it looks rough. I think Monterey Baldwin um, and, and Hal Presley is the other guy. But I mean, I think those are both maybe top uh, in terms of like college football players. Are those top 150 guys? I don't not right now. Um, do, are they projected to be top 150 guys? I, I don't know. The good thing for Baylor is like we saw with Gary Bohannon is if, um, and Tyquan Thornton is like, if you're fast, they're going to scheme you open. And so they're going to give these guys like, good opportunities. And so you can make the argument for opportunity, but I think that there's just so much uncertainty and they're replacing so much this year. I don't expect much out of uh, what's currently on the roster for Baylor. Did yeah. In particular, like, can one of these guys beat a good cornerback one-on-one down the field? Yep. They probably can you get open enough for Gary Bohannon to hit you with a pass? I, I I don't know if any of these guys can. Granted, he transferred, but yeah, well, less relevant now. But <laughs> I mean, I've got Baylor at nine, which is the lowest of the three of us. But it's the same stuff. Like I, I read the same thing you did, Ian from from Reader, I, I, which was really good. And I like Ben Sims, but I'm not envisioning Ben Simmons is the next coming of Charlie Kohler. So like, if he does, if he suddenly this irritating got to figure out how to deal with tight end then then great Baylor gets bumped up a few spots but as for right now I just I have too many questions like I, don't, I, I just don't know if like, he really is good they can double him like who on the outside is going to punish you for doubling the tight end on third down it's like the same thing with Kansas State and Deuce Vaughn eventually teams are like okay we got to double the running back it's yeah. unorthodox but we just we have to do but then it was like okay Malik Knowles is not open or if he is, it's Will Howard and he can't hit him, you know? So, um, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. We're going a little out of order, but who cares? This We get to the end. We get to the end. Um, okay. Let's go this way. Ian, who do you have at eight? Uh, so, eight. 
looks like I had tech eight. I don't know. I, I think they're better. <laughs> I would probably put them over Baylor in retrospect. And I think I would put my nine over Baylor now as well. But yeah, I had tech. We've talked about them quite a bit. Okay. Uh, Parker, you had Baylor at eight. Um, I had, where am I? Let's go. Uh, I have Iowa State at eight, one spot ahead of Baylor. Um, and that's, we talked about if you have a guy, um, I'm going to give you a lot of credit. The difference to me between Iowa State and Baylor is Iowa State has Xavier Hutchinson and then I don't know what else. And Baylor has a tight end who might be good and I don't know what else. And I like Xavier Hutchinson, but I don't – look, I know what he did against Oklahoma State last year. Congrats. They pissed him off and then he went off and was awesome. But I don't just – he's good. I think sometimes he gets a little bit overrated. Like I like him, but he's not one who I just know every single game is going to be awesome. Parker, are you giving me side eye here for this? Do you disagree? I, I am. I think the conversation is when I take Iowa State's receiving room all else equal over Kansas's, and that's close. I think I would I think I would pretty clearly take Baylor over Iowa State just from an argument from depth. Because I think that they have uh they have Xavier Hutchinson, that's great, but like I don't love what's on Iowa State's roster there um, after after Hutchinson. So I have them at at peak. I have them fourth in terms of depth. They're um, eighth in terms of talent. They're seventh, and in terms of losses, they're sixth because they lost Kolar and Milton. Like they, I mean that 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 again. If 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 these four categories are meaningful, which I I think they are, they do not rate well in any of them. Well, you lose Brees Hall, and they'll have another running back like they always do. But he was such a good pass catcher for them. Like, is Jarrell Brock a better running back and than Brees Hall? Many people are many people are suggesting this. Probably not. I, I just like I know Iowa State is recruiting well, but like you, the the, uh, the receiving core has been the biggest wing, the weakest link to me of just the straight the receivers, the weakest link to me of Iowa State pretty much during the Matt Campbell era. You've had, that's part of the reason Charlie Kohler, thank goodness they had him, but like, that's one of the reasons you relied on him so much. He was a mismatch or a matchup nightmare, but also it's not like you had a bunch of other wide receivers you're going to play over him. Like you, he had to be that for them. You had to throw to the running backs a lot. Uh, Xavier Hudson, like I like Xavier Hudson. I don't, I'm not just like falling over in love with him. And then, so behind that, like what, what do I what do I have now? Kolar's gone. Hall's gone. I know they'll replace them with other players and I'm sure they will step up, but like, I have to see something and I don't have the history like Baylor. I've seen enough wide receivers come through Baylor to at least be like, okay, well, some of these guys, one of these guys is going to be good. I know that with Iowa state, like I, I can go through the recruiting rankings all day, but I don't like, I've got to see it from Iowa state. Their recruiting rankings aren't that great. A receiver. That's always been like with a, one of the weak spots. Um, they brought in like, you know, Brock and Hall, but then they'd have like these smaller receiving classes that were not high on top end talent. I think um, virtually all the best receivers they had, he inherited from, um, uh, uh, what's his name? The guy before him, Paul Rhodes. Paul and, Rhodes. <laughs> uh, he made a lot more of them than Paul Rhodes did. But uh, he didn't replace him until um, they have Greg Gaines coming in this class. I think it was like a high three-star or a low four-star out of like Tampa or something. And he's probably going to play pretty quickly. Um, 
And then, you know, they only need one guy like that to hit, and all of a sudden they look fine again. But um, I think Jalen Knowles is a pretty good slot receiver. I think Hutchinson is maybe a little bit overrated. I think I agree. I think he's really good. I think he's a really strong route runner and has reliable hands. But I don't think he's like a killer athlete. So I wonder what happens when he gets a little more attention this year. And then they're not going to uh, – I, I would bet against them running offense like they have in the past. I don't think they're going to be a double tight end team anymore. I think that is over until their tight end room is rebuilt. I bet they're going to go spread eye with that walk on Jared Russell on the field a lot and then a slot receiver and then have Deckers mix RPOs and play action with uh, running from the spread to Brock. I think, I think that's going to be the game. Um, kind of like West Virginia, actually, except they don't have Prather and Ford Wheaton. They have Hutchinson and Noel and Greg Gaines or Sean Shaw. So, Parker? No one in that list excites me. Like, uh, yeah, the, the, like looking at the list of who they have, they're all guys that are, you know, three stars rated in that like 0.84 to 0.86 range coming out of high school. Um, not like an obvious fit. And I, I think your point about Hutchinson getting double attention, like I, Kansas doesn't have a better room than them, but like it's, it's closer than it is to the rest of the big 12. I think um, just the, I, I, I would call this a transition year for Iowa state. Any way you cut it. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, I they're, they're definitely going to have to adapt to the talent they have on the roster um, for, for sure. The one thing is if Greg Gaines is really good as a freshman, then we look really dumb because if, if they compare Hutch with like a, an explosive freshman, then it, it'll work for sure. Yeah, but show me, I mean, show me your list of, not you, the Royal you, your list of breakout freshmen the last five years in the Big 12, like call it. I mean, that's, you, yeah, that's a, that's a crapshoot, you know? Savior um, worthy. Savior. Um... <laughs> no, 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 right. I'm not saying that freshmen don't break out. I'm no, just no, saying, tell no, no, me no, who's no. going to. I know, I, I, yeah. I, I get the joke. I mean, look, four-star kid, he could be good, but if he's a good freshman, like if he is a good freshman, which is what you would expect from a, a four-star kid coming in, then that's a nice piece. But that's like that's that's not enough. That's that's basically what OSU had outside of Tay Martin last year was a bunch of good freshmen. And, and, right. So okay. So I think that then we all have Kansas in last place. I mean, they lose Kwame Lasseter. It's really good that they got Lawrence Arnold back. Like he was going to the transfer portal, and then he came back out, and I and I kind of liked him as a freshman for them. Uh, they've got. Some guys, we'll see. Um, I I just lost his name. Um, I like the Minnesota transfer they brought in, whose name has completely just escaped me. Uh, they get Morgan or Mason Fairchild back at tight end, who's a lot of, like it's an experienced group for Kansas, but it's not like I'm gonna sit here and or they're they're tenth. I don't I don't wanna I'm not trying to like oversell it. We'll see. Um Sir, you left out destroyer of worlds, Jared Casey. In the second tight end spot, <laughs> God of War, Jared Casey. I mean, they've, they've got they've got guys. They don't have dudes, but I don't yeah. think it's been said that Kansas has guys before. So um, it's, been, it's been a while. I, don't, I didn't know they got a Minnesota transfer. What's his name? Yeah, he's not he's not on my list. Um, so I missed that too. Hold on. I know they tried to get Bunkley Shelton, but uh, Oklahoma. Uh, Douglas, um, 
I'm going to mispronounce it. Emilian, E-M-I-L-I-E-N, Minnesota receiver. He and uh, Kai Thomas transferred over. Okay. Wow, I didn't know about either of those. Always check the portal, boys. Always check the portal. I, mean, I like Kai Thomas. Like, uh, I, I don't, I don't know how much is a receiver, but at least for for running back depth behind Devin Neal, if we were to do running back rankings, Kansas, I don't know that I would have Kansas last. Uh, I like, I like him and Neal as a package duo. But we're not going to do running back rankings. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, and again, I like what Kansas is doing. I don't think it behooves us much to say like, hey, they're still not very good. You know, like they, they still have an inherent ceiling, but I think there's a vision there. Obviously losing Kwame Lasseter was one of the bigger losses um, just because they relied on him a bunch. But even as he had a lot of targets, he wasn't exactly the most productive um, overall. So, I mean, I, I like Graham and Arnold. I think that uh, Fairchild at tight end and, and Neil, like that foursome rounds out a decent, group um and so they're they're again their peak isn't very high um their losses are pretty high but in terms of depth and and talent again they're better than kansas state in terms of average talent if you look at those projected starters and their their depth um i mean just they they're consistent across the board there so that's at least um a step in the right direction we got to grade them on the curve but they're still last yeah well and you get you know you've had it now you'll have a full off season in lightbulb system you play it a full season like it's another year like I could see I could see everything for Kansas taking a step forward just based off of all of the unusual circumstances heading into last year and them ending the year moving in the right direction like we may I could very much sit here and say I feel like I don't have a ton of questions about Kansas I have more questions about other receiving groups than I for other teams like Iowa State and Baylor than I do Kansas that doesn't mean Kansas is I mean obviously they're in 10th place but because we we're just, they're, like you said their guys are not dudes but I don't have a ton of questions about them. Like I feel kind of confident saying like they could all be better and still be in 10th place or they could be a ninth or eighth. I just, I don't know, but I mean, it's going to depend in some extent on what other people, other teams do. All right. Um, all right. So to recap, I will average all these out so we can run it on social. Cause everyone loves to react to things on social media and not listen to actual podcasts. Why would you do that? It's much easier to re- react to a, a graphic that someone puts out. Parker, you're familiar with that. Um, <laughs> Any big takeaways, you guys, from from now that we've wrapped this up? We've all put our list out there. I think there's a lot of fun. Like like teams like Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, I think are really fun. I'd, I'd even throw Baylor in that list of like, hey, I'm not I'm not super high on you as a unit, but I think that, you know, you you being a fan of any one of those four teams, you could talk yourself into, hey, this is a roadmap for, for a decent group um, given, you know, once you start to factor in quarterback play and scheme and everything. So um, there, there's definitely some intriguing teams to watch that I have lower on the list. And I think we're going to get some receiving excellence uh, across multiple teams that we may not have had the last couple of years in, in, in big 12 uh, play overall. Yeah. Last year was all running backs. Nobody, nobody was particularly good throwing the ball. Casey Thompson had, I think led the league in touchdown passes um, with a couple of real stinker games where he was like, could barely throw the ball at all. And it was mostly just because, they had Xavier Worthy running free five times a game. Yeah, so I mean it's 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 a good plan to just chuck it to him. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be the league is gonna be very different this year. Yeah, I mean i i I think we're gonna see. I think the end of the year, this list, you know, we'll we'll review it like we did this past year. We did our rankings, and then Parker and I sat down and kind of went through everything and and reevaluated at the end of the season. I, I think. 
as I look forward to all the other groups we're going to do, this might be the one where we see the most variance from now to after the season of the number of receivers that we're all kind of like, someone's got to step up, someone's got to step up, someone's got to step up, of seeing what these groups look like come January and seeing who the new receiving stars in the Big 12 are this year. Because I think the, the opportunities are there, and I think even more so than last year. Um, so it will be it'll be fun to watch to see who's the annoying guy who's beating everybody's defensive backfield and driving you crazy if you're everyone but the fan of him. Jane Bray. Jane. Uh, man, Bray. I pre- thank you. I am. It's so nice to see Ian on the Jane Bridge. I do. I like him. He's going to be fun. All right. Look, Parker, get, on, Ian. get on the gutter. Henry. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, we'll save the, uh, the, the weird quarterback discussion. We randomly went down. I like that. Uh, Parker, plug away all of your stuff. Hit it. Uh, working on the Football Outsiders right now, Almanac. Um, also, BetUS College Football Show. Subscribe to the Utah YouTube channel. We're um, getting on air tomorrow. So we're going to have some new content starting up this summer. Uh, over there, you can find me at Twitter at Stats at War. And of course, if you're a TCU fan, you know of the Purple Theory podcast. And if you don't, oh, yeah. <laughs> and if you're a Big 12 fan, uh, you guys are doing uh, team previews in Kansas and Texas Tech thus far. Uh, I when I mow next, I will listen to Kansas. I'm very excited about Kansas. I don't know why, but I just I'm I'm just it's weirdly exciting. It's weird. It's like the first year in a long time. You're like, I feel like there's reason to care about Kansas. That's very exciting. It's somebody different and different. Uh, Ian, plug, sir. Yeah, so I'm on Inside Texas in the On Three Network, and I now have a Substack, America's War Game. Everybody, check out my Substack. You can subscribe for free, apparently. You won't get as much content that way. I recommend paying if you if you like it, because then you'll actually be able to read it all. And uh, it's going to be a little bit of um, it's 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 going to be like football study hall was back in the day, sort of a national look at college football, bounce around to different teams and talk about big picture themes in the game. A little more social commentary now that I'm on my own. So brace yourself for that and uh, check it out. Uh, I am. I'm sorry, and I'm a free subscriber. I've, I'm already paying for too many newsletters. I, I no offense. I'm too uh, late. As soon as as soon as I stop paying for Matt Brown's, maybe I'll pay for yours. Uh, but if you're not going to give me whack realignment news, I don't know how I how I stop paying for his for yours. Um, <laughs> we love extra points here. And go and subscribe. Check out. Give both a follow on Twitter. Give us a follow on Twitter at ten twelve network t in the number twelve of the word network. Leave us a rating and a review, please. Um, as always, if you got questions, our DMs are open. We'd be happy to answer them. We will continue our position group rankings through the summer. Like I said, we will have pass rush, we will have uh, defensive backs, and we will have offensive blocking. Uh, keep an eye out. We'll be back next week. Thanks, everybody. Podcast Network.